Good morning. How are we all doing? Everyone get enough yummy food for Thanksgiving? I hope you got some family time in there. Or maybe you got too much family time in there. I had a good time. I had my middle daughter, Sadie, come into town, so that was good to see her. She was just here briefly for a few days and then had my in-laws and family up from California, so heard there was a good number of people here at the building, so praise God for that. So you look well-fed anyway, from what I can tell. All right, so last week we were looking at the history lesson that Moses begins from the book of Deuteronomy. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 3, 1 through 3, and uh, we'll be a, a different, couple different places there today. But one of the interesting things I discovered in just reading through this story again and again uh, is that God chooses to go into business with some very unlikely people, people of questionable lineage, people of questionable reputation. God is willing to work with any people who have faith with him, faith in him. In fact, many times it even seems to me like God really relishes and enjoys uh, working and choosing the most unlikely people to be his partners uh, to accomplish his plans of redemption. Uh, God is willing to work with any people who have faith in him. In fact, many times it's, they seem to be the ones who he responds to most readily, it's the people who have faith. Uh, just in my life, I've seen something of the truth of the way that works in the church today. Uh, when new people come and uh, they're baptized into the, into the body of Christ and they are a part of what goes on here, I love the zeal and energy and new ideas that new people bring. And uh, these are the people who don't know all of the unspoken rules or our Church of Christ-ish kind of hang-ups and things. Um, People who are ready to work and ready to learn and ready to change. I think uh, there's a lot of times that people come to a church week after week after week and they don't really want anything to change. We like the way we do things. We're comfortable with the way we do things. When is the last time you marked a major change in your relationship with God? Are you seeking the Lord your God with everything you got? Or is that relationship pretty much on cruise control? He's got his sphere of things. I've got my sphere of things. He does his thing. I'll do mine. He stays there. I'll stay here. See, we need to be able to honestly assess and come to terms with how much faith we really have in God. I hope that my preaching brings us to a point ask that question again and again. 
How's my relationship going with you, my Lord and God? So, the verses that we were in this last week. When we arrived at Kedesh Barnea, I said to you, You have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord our God is giving us. Look, he has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. (coughs) And what happens? When God says, go and occupy. When God says, go and occupy to people who are comfortable they inevitably will make excuses. When God says, don't be afraid to people who have riches and things around them, when, he, when, they say, don't, when God says, don't be afraid, we're inevitably afraid because there's a lot of stuff we can lose. <coughs> when God says, don't be discouraged, people who are hyper fixating on all of the problems around us, what's going wrong with the world, people who feed themselves on news media and social media more than they feed themselves on God's word, they're inevitably going to be discouraged. So at Kedesh Barnea, (coughs) when God tells Israel, go, they stay. When he says, don't be afraid, they are afraid. And when he says, don't be discouraged, they are very discouraged. So what does God do in situations like that? Situations when the people that he's trying to work with are stuck in such a rut that they are unwilling to change. Typically, God does one of two things. He disciplines those people uh, through life circumstances, through some unexpected wake-up call that gets their attention so that they will be willing to actually do what God commands. Or else he finds new partners. He raises up unlikely partners who will actually obey him instead of just ignoring him or making excuses. So as I read through Moses' history lesson in the first chapters of Deuteronomy, I was reminded that God didn't just give a promised land to Israel. God gives a promised land to other nations as well. And Moses holds up these Gentile nations as examples of faithfulness in contrast to Israel's faithlessness. And I think there's a lesson for us in that for the church as well. When was the last time you shared your faith in Jesus Christ with someone? When was the last time you shared your faith in Jesus Christ with someone? A friend? A neighbor? Someone you come across? Our children? Jesus commands us, go and make disciples and teach them to obey. How good a job are you doing at being a disciple or making disciples? So Moses talks about two other Gentile nations who are directed by God to go and fight for and claim their own promised land. And instead of making excuses like Israel did, they just go and obey. (coughs) Let's look at these verses. 
You will pass through the country belonging to your relatives, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir. The Edomites will feel threatened, so be careful. Do not bother them, for, they, for I have given them all the hill country around Mount Seir as their property, and I will not give you even one square foot of their land. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do a cough drop real quick. scratchy throat thing going on. If you need food to eat or water to drink, pay for them. For the Lord your God has blessed you in everything you have done. So God says, don't mess with the Edomites. Don't mess with the Edomites because I'm the one who gave them that land. That is not your inheritance. That's theirs. <coughs> and Moses goes on. Do not bother the Moabites, the descendants of Lot, or start a war with them. I have given them Ar as their property, and I will not give you any of their land. A race of giants called the Emites had once lived in the area of Ar. They were as strong and as numerous and as tall as the Anakites, another race of giants. But they were driven out and displaced by the descendants of Esau. What is Moses doing here? God gives the Moabites their own promised land, and guess what, Israel? Their land also was filled with lots and lots of giants. But they didn't chicken out like you guys did. They went and occupied their inheritance. God isn't just the God of Israel. The Lord our God is sovereign over nations. God is moving people and groups of people and events of history throughout the world. And the irony and lesson for Israel that Moses is giving is that Gentiles often prove to be more willing and ready to accept God's grace than God's own people. That's a tough pill to swallow. And Moses' history lesson doesn't stop there. He also talks about a poster child chosen by God who embodies the kind of faithfulness, steadfastness, and courage that Israel needs in order to succeed in taking the promised land. When the Lord heard your complaining, he became very angry. He solemnly swore, not one of you from this wicked generation will live to see the good land I swore to your ancestors, except, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Jephunneh. Fake it till you make it, right? Jephunneh. Jephunneh. He will see this land because he has followed the Lord completely. <coughs> I will give it to him and his descendants, some of the very land he explored during the scouting mission. Some of that very land. So let's look at the story again to be reminded. We have the events of uh, Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea and the delivery of uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments and the covenant at Sinai, the receiving the law, and then up at 
Kadesh Barnea, and then they spy out the land. And 12 spies are sent, scouts, two come back and say, do what the Lord your God has said to do. And the other ones, they discourage and dishearten the people of Israel. And Israel listens to the other 10 doubters rather than the two who are courageous. <coughs> so then they wander around 38 years. And finally they come and they begin to possess some of their inheritance east of the Jordan. And then they're here now, ready to cross in into the promised land to cross west over the Jordan River. And Caleb, who's an old man at this point, is the example of faithfulness held up before Israel. Tea, water, cough drops, thank you guys. So Moses' history lesson for Israel doesn't just stop with other nations, Gentile nations, who get their own promised land, who don't back down like Israel does. Caleb, I did not realize, is actually a Gentile as well. Then the Lord was very angry with them, and he vowed, Of all those I rescued from Egypt... No one who is 20 years old or older will ever see the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for they have not obeyed me wholeheartedly. The only exceptions are Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzites, and Joshua, son of Nun, who, for they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord, from Numbers 32. Well, who are the Kenizzites? That's Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Well, for that answer, we have to go all the back, way back to Genesis and the covenant that is made with, that God makes with Abraham, or Abram. Genesis 15. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with, Abraham, with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates, Reptites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's another mouthful. You see that? So not only is Caleb a Gentile, he's a Gentile from one of the Canaanite nations that Israel is told to go to war with. He's from the very land that Israel is going to possess. <coughs> and I think this, there's a teaching lesson for us in that. Caleb, the poster child of this conquest of the promised land. The example that God lives, lifts up for Israel to follow. He's not just a Gentile foreigner. He is the enemy. What does that say 
about the kind of people that God wants to go into business with. Why would God do this? Hold up someone of questionable lineage as an example to follow. I think for the answer to this question that Moses is raising, we have to go all the way back to Abraham once again. Did you know that Abraham wasn't a Jew? He wasn't a Jew. He became a Jew, but not until he was an old man. He didn't start out his life anyway as a Jew. What is it that made Abraham a Jew? When he was 75 years old, Abram left his country, his people, his father's household, and everything he had ever known to follow God into the unknown, to a land God said, I will show you. His faith. He left everything he knew behind. And that kind of faithfulness is what God builds the Jewish people out of. Abram believed the Lord. And because the Lord counted him as and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Genesis 15:6, New Living Translation. Moses is revealing to Israel what it is that God wants the very most from his people. God is not a respecter of persons or nationalities or lineage. He doesn't care about your gender. He doesn't care about your intelligence or your bank account. What God is really looking for in his partners is for people who have faith. He wants to know whether or not you are going to actually listen to him, obey him, and believe him. And the God who Moses reveals is the same God who Jesus himself reveals. It is Abraham's faith that turned him into a Jew. It is Caleb's faith that made him into the poster child for the new conquest of the promised land. And I couldn't help, as I was reading these stories, thinking about them, praying about them, uh, to, to look at stories of unlikely people that God uses. And one of those stories comes the, uh, from Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. You know who Zacchaeus was? He is a wee little man. And a wee little man was he who climbed up in a... But what did he do for a profession? How was he viewed by his fellow Jews? Traitor, in collusion with the enemy. And yet, when Jesus sees him in that tree and gives him an, basically invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, what does Zacchaeus do? The wealth he had spent his lifetime prostituting himself to accumulate. He's ready to give half of it away. And 
anyone he has defrauded. He will go beyond what the law says to do in terms of restitution. And he will pay back an even greater amount. And what does Jesus say to faith like that? Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. The sons and daughters and co-workers and friends that God is looking for have always, first and foremost, been a people of faith. A people of faith. Your faith is what makes you a part of the story of God's people. It's Abraham's faith that makes him a Jew. It's Caleb's faith that turns a foreign enemy into a poster child, an example for Israel to follow. It's Zacchaeus' faith that turns him from a tax-collecting traitor into a child of Abraham. Am I living the life of faith that God wants from me? Are you living the kind of faith that God is looking to partner with? Faith is trust. It is obedience. It is following. It is searching for. So whatever happened to Caleb the scout, who was held up as Captain America for Israel, and he wasn't even an American, The book of Joshua tells us more of the story. Caleb, son of Japhanel, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and I gave an honest report, but my brothers went with me and frightened the, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that, your and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. He's coming now as an old man. He's 40 when he goes and scouts the land. And then they wander around another 38 years. And by the time he crosses the Jordan, held up by Moses as an example, he goes and he fights years more. So Caleb, the Gentile, the enemy, the example for Israel to follow, he's 85 years old now when he goes before another old man, Joshua, to receive what he was promised 
to receive what he believed was his through faith. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And the land, the land had rest from war. Notice those words that keep coming up again. Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. So Caleb is an 85-year-old man, stands before the old man, Joshua. No doubt there was a friendship there. And he receives the blessing of Joshua to finally receive the land that he had been promised by the Lord as God confirmed by the man of God, Moses. So one last little bit of wordplay for our lesson this morning. These are the two heroes in the story of the conquest, Caleb and Joshua, these courageous scouts or spies. These are the heroes of the story. Joshua, his name means God saves. Caleb, his name means dog. So the heroes of the story are a man named God Saves and a man named Dog. I don't know the full etymology of all of this. I think it would be a tough thing to be named, to have a name like Dog among Israelite people. But his name is actually a compound word. So the word from dog, if you divide it into two halves, there's a, another word play going on. Kaf Lamed means all or whole. And then Lamed Bet means heart. So the word that makes up dog, if you divide it into two halves, means wholehearted or single-minded. Wholehearted or single-minded. So reading through this story, the story of Caleb, I wondered why they used the phrase wholeheartedly so many times in the story. It's because of what his name means. Caleb is a foreigner who people called a dog, but he proves himself to be wholehearted or single-minded. God is willing to go into business with all kinds of people, even the people we would judge to be the wrong kinds of people. But if they have faith, that is who God is looking for. There's a story that's always bothered me about Jesus, and I've never quite known how to understand it. And it's the time when Jesus calls a woman a dog. 
I was never quite sure how to understand that text, and I, would, I've, I found ways to understand it and dance around that a little bit. But I was surprised to learn all of that about Caleb, and I think that there might be an answer to that story in the story from Deuteronomy. In Matthew's gospel, he makes a clear point of telling us that this woman who is begging Jesus to heal his daughter, she's not just a Gentile. Matthew uses the word to clearly tell us that she's a Canaanite woman. A Canaanite. The people that the Israelites were told to go annihilate them the enemies of Israel. She is, she is a descendant of the people, the very people that Israel was told to get rid of. Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and she worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to dogs. Talk about a tough crowd this woman's facing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine to have to face a group of Jewish men? But you've heard something about this guy, this rabbi, and what he can do. She goes, and first she's given the silent treatment by Jesus. She keeps pushing. And then all the disciples who were there said, send her away. She's bothering us. And she keeps going. She's tenacious. She worships. She begs, help me, Lord. And he says, I'm only here for Israel. And she doesn't stop. And she doesn't stop. And Jesus finally says, it's not right to take from the mouths of the children and to give it to the dogs. Do you see that kind of faith? It's a courageous heart. That is the heart of a mother who was desperate to save her child. That is a heart that is steadfast and will not take no for an answer. She replied, that is true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. 
Dear woman, dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. You see, just like Moses uses a man named Dog to teach Israel a lesson about faithfulness, now Jesus uses this woman he calls a dog to teach his 12 disciples the same lesson about the kind of heart that God is looking for. It's a kind of heart that is desperate for the Lord their God and will not take no for an answer. A Gentile Canaanite man named Dog who through faithfulness receives a portion of land among God's people, held up as an example to the 12 tribes. Hundreds of years later, a Gentile Canaanite woman who Jesus calls Dog, who through unyielding faith receives a portion from the master's table, she's held up as an example to the 12 disciples. And that's why this woman is written about in the Gospel of Matthew, this Canaanite woman. Well, that's the invitation for us in this story, uh, is to think about what would my life be like if I lived with that kind of faith? What would change in my life if I refused to take no for an answer from my Lord and God and just trusted him relentlessly. See, the only thing separating you from a radical different kind of life together with God is your faith. It's not because God doesn't want it. And the kind of life that you're living right now, you probably are living a good life and good things are coming. And it's proportional to the amount of faith that you have in the Lord your God and how you trust him. And when our, faith, when our faith grows, it can break you out of whatever spiritual rut you've been in, maybe for a little while, maybe for years, just going through the motions on cruise control. Faith in the Lord your God can change all of that. Faith, faith is something that gets God's attention. And that's the invitation in this text, this history lesson that Moses teaches us from the book of Deuteronomy. So if you need to put on the Lord in baptism, if you need the prayers of this church, I'll be up here, standing up here in the front. You can come and share those things with me. We're going to go ahead and stand and uh, sing an invitation song together.